Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, despite California's agricultural bounty, we grow nearly half the nation's fruits and vegetables. An estimated one in five Californians were food insecure in 2022. And that number may be higher as recent studies find that surveys measuring food insecurity are underestimating the impact on some Latino communities. This hour, we take a closer look at what's driving food insecurity and hunger in California and why some experts fear the numbers have risen well past 20% this year. And we want to hear from you. Are you or someone you know struggling to access enough food? Join us after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. The pandemic brought nearly a billion and a half dollars in federal food aid to California, some triple the amount from prior years. But that additional aid ended in March. And since then, the number of Californians experiencing food insecurity is believed to be steadily rising. That's according to a report by Cal Matters, which also finds that food banks have been seeing record numbers this year. Joining me now is Cal Matters reporter Jeannie Kwong, who covers state economics. Welcome, Jeannie. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you. You were last on forum in March as well, right when those extra pandemic-related food aid allotments were ending. Can you remind us how big a difference in dollars those allotments were making on a monthly basis for people? Yeah, so it depends on um, the household, but for the most part, there was all this, you know, kind of additional federal aid that the USDA was providing states to give out to families during the pandemic. And essentially, um, the way that you receive food assistance is it's based on your um, income as well as your household size. So for everyone who was on food stamps, they basically just gave everyone the maximum level um, the or the maximum dollar amount for their household size. And then if you were already at the maximum, they would give you a bump on top of that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, some people like for a single family house, a single person household, the minimum is around $20. And so people who were getting $20 a month were then getting, you know, more than 200 a month during the this period um, in the pandemic. And so, you know, for some people, the drop could have been, um, that much of a of a difference. Wow. And you also include numbers that before the pandemic, the average Californian receiving food stamps got $132 a month. 
And as of May 2023, it's a little bit more, 179 a month, but it sounds like it still hasn't made much of a dent in terms of being able to afford more food. Why not? So, I mean, we saw just really high rises in the cost of food during this time. Um, Mm -hmm. It did, you know, you mentioned from 2019 to 2023, but in the middle there, families were getting much more than that. And then um, they started seeing that decrease back to quote unquote normal levels again earlier this spring. But around that time, um, you know, all throughout the pandemic, food prices had been steadily rising too. So it just kind of happened at a time when there was also record inflation and just happened to hit a bunch of people really hard. What role do you think the fact that food benefits are calculated based on nationwide costs has? What role do you think that plays? Yeah, of course, that has a a big impact in California where the cost of living is higher. Um, You know, most social services are based on federal poverty levels and the cost of living nationwide. And um, so they often don't go as far in California. So food banks are further evidence that more Californians are food insecure because many food banks are telling you that they're seeing more people. What have you heard from them? Yeah, so food banks across California had been seeing elevated numbers of clients, people coming looking for assistance. Um, You know, we all saw the long lines of the sort of food distributions during the pandemic, and that kind of had continued at elevated levels for the past several years since the pandemic started. But even after all of this, after the kind of elevated benefits ended earlier this year, um, the California Association sorry, the California Association of Food Banks told me that um, for months afterwards this year, after the additional benefits ended, um, they were still seeing a lot of people coming to their doors more than before the pandemic, um, in some cases more than ever. Hmm. Um, So I can share with you that they did some surveys of of their members of food banks across the country in spring and this summer. um, And they were seeing um, over two thirds of food banks this summer were seeing more people like rising clients those few months. And they pointed out that that was unusual because normally they, uh, for whatever reason, have typically slower months during the summer. So even in July, they were seeing over two thirds of their membership serving rising numbers. And they thought that was particularly concerning. Is that what they meant by saying that they feel like they've become supermarkets, that it's just a sort of a constant stream as opposed to um, being used as an emergency source when things are really dire. Yeah, yeah. I think they would definitely agree that it's becoming much more of a regular source uh, for for people to get their groceries as opposed to, you know, a kind of seasonal ebb and flow based on emergencies. So we know that statewide, or we estimate that statewide, 20% of Californians are food insecure, or one in five. Do we know yet how that figure has changed this past year? Um, I don't know um, what the most updated numbers are, but it kind of also depends on your region. Mm-hmm. And I know that that figure is higher in certain regions um, like L.A., um, it is actually slightly lower than that in the Bay Area. And I, I don't know if that's because there is also, you know, a, a higher population of wealth in the Bay Area as well. So I don't know if that 
kind of changes the percentages. Um, but it, it has been somewhat on the rise this year. I'm looking at some figures that were also given to me by the Association of Food Banks, which looks at um, monthly census surveys. Um, and I did want to point out that there is a lot of racial disparity in who experiences food insecurity. Um, and particularly, we have seen the um, percentage of Black households experiencing food insecurity rise in 2023. And um, one of the figures that I thought was really striking, 49% of Black households with children reported food insecurity in uh, the September census report. Wow. Uh, so it really varies based on racial group. And then also at the same time you were saying, based on where you live, you, you have this um, sort of handy tool on your piece explaining hunger in California where you can type in your county and you can see those numbers vary anywhere from like 17% of people in that county experiencing food insecurity to as high as like 44%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's just a state with a lot of disparities. And, and I think we wanted to put that tool together because we, we thought it was just, you might not expect that number in, in the place that you live. And can you remind us how food insecure or how food insecurity is defined? Well, it's defined as essentially having limited or uncertain access to food. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going hungry that day, but it just means that you don't have, you're not certain that you can, um, you can get food or can afford it. Um, and it's usually measured through these, you know, household surveys. Yeah. And uh, I was struck by how you you noted that experiencing food insecurity does not necessarily mean you're experiencing hunger, but but why not? Well, it's more about it's more about the the insecurity, like the the lack of stability that you're not sure that you can you can that you can count on having food each day. It doesn't it's not necessarily like what you're experiencing that very day. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And some people may eat lesser quality food than they used to, food that's more affordable and maybe not as good for you as well, but it's still filling you up. Right. And and that kind of stuff can, I think there's a lot of research that shows that that kind of stuff can have long-term effects, especially on children, their well-being, their performance in school, um, you know, obviously their health. We're talking with Jeannie Kwong, CalMatters reporter covering state economics, who's covered food insecurity in California and is giving us an update on what's happened since pandemic-era emergency aid was reduced. I want to invite you listeners to join the conversation. Are you or someone you know struggling to access enough food? How are you affected by food insecurity? Or maybe you grew up in a food insecure household. What was that like? You can call us at 866-733-6786. You can email forum at kqed.org or find us on our social channels at KQED Forum. I want to bring Amanda McLean into the conversation. Uh, assistant professor at San Diego State University, co-author of a qualitative study which looks at how Latino families are surveyed about food insecurity. Professor McLean, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you much, so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. So Amanda, I understand that you're worried that the federal food estimate of food insecure Californians may be an underestimate, that it may be inaccurate. Jeannie was mentioning food surveys. Can you first remind us how the federal government measures food insecurity or how it measures what's happening in households? Yeah. So um, we started in the United States, we started tracking prevalence of food insecurity um, 
uh, on an, an annual basis in, in 1995 using um, an 18 item household food security survey module. And so we've been doing this. We're the only, you know, one of the only countries in the world that does this on an annual basis. And we're really looking at this um, economic access to food. This is essentially how the measure is constructed. Um, and within this food access or access to food from an economic standpoint, you have these different dimensions. And Jeannie kind of touched on some of that there. It's not just about the quantity. Are you reducing food and, and as a consequence becoming hungry? But there are the quality of foods. I think you, meant, you mentioned this, Mina. And then there's also the stress, the psychological aspects of experiencing food insecurity and the social dimensions. Are you acquiring food in socially acceptable ways? And just the experience of food insecurity in itself is um, a very stigmatizing experience for a lot of people. So the U.S., as you say, has done the survey, which is a good thing, right? Not everybody, not every country does it. But it sounds like you and your team have looked at why, um, in some respects, the survey is flawed. Um, and you look specifically at ways it might be undercounting or not getting at nuances um, in, among California's Latino population who are experiencing food insecurity. Um, do you want to just tell us quickly, we're coming up on a break, but but how you conducted that study, and then we can get into the results after the break. Like, what did you do to try to figure that out? Yeah, it was actually three states, California, um, and I have uh, collaborators in Texas and New York. So we were trying to get a diverse sample, heritage diverse um, Latine households, as well as differing regions of the U.S. And we did cognitive interviewing, qualitative um, interviews with participants to find out more about is it measuring it in the way we intended? Yeah, and we'll get into those results right after the break. Amanda McLean is a professor at San Diego State University and co-author of that qualitative study looking at how Latino families are experiencing food insecurity. Jeannie Wong, Jeannie Kwong is a Cal Matters reporter covering state economics. And you, our listeners, are joining the conversation, sharing, are you someone who has struggled with food insecurity? What has been your experience? More a forum after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about hunger in California this hour and the findings of a recent CalMatters report 
including the impact of the end of pandemic-related federal food aid last spring on Californians. CalMatters' Jeannie Kwong is with us, and so is Amanda McLean, assistant professor at San Diego State University. And you, our listeners, are with us. Have you faced stigma around food insecurity, as Professor McLean says is a factor? Maybe you grew up in a food insecure household. What was that like? Are you someone who has struggled to access enough food? What has been your experience? How are you coping? What are your questions about the state of food insecurity in California for our guests? 866-733-6786, the number. Our social channels are at KQED Forum. You can also find us on our digital community on Discord. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. So Amanda, I want to get into a little bit more what you found in terms of specific examples of how the federal survey is failing to capture the nuances or complexity of food insecurity, and as a result, maybe underestimating its extent. It's um, it's really interesting. Uh, something that was a very was surprising to all of us um, that did that completed this study, just the way in which our participants responded as if they were food secure because they were answering questions as if they could afford food when they weren't actually buying, oftentimes buying the food. As Jeannie mentioned, and then that Cal Matters report also talks about the essentially the reliance on food pantries, um, food distribution sites, charitable food networks, uh, where instead of them being, you know, sort of stop gaps and emergent for emergency use only are really being used in a way that is more about reliance. Mm. So if you ask somebody if they could always access enough food, they would say yes, but they were relying on food pantries um, or food banks. And so the intent of the question was really at whether or not they could afford it so that they did not have to rely on those. Exactly. And then they were answering, um, you know, only p- part of the question, right? Not about the affording food. And some of our participants picked up on that, you know, they would respond with, do you mean that can I buy the food or is it there and I have access to it? Um, and of course, the pandemic, uh, we interviewed these participants during starting in 2021. The pandemic was still alive and well. Then it was followed by that summer with high costs, you know, inflation. And all of that came out in those interviews, just the mm-hmm. realities of actually not having physical access to food, not because there weren't food distributions, but because the shelves were empty, right? So it's a, it was a very nuanced um, and interesting, interesting study to conduct during that time period. What were interviewees telling you when they were asked how often they skipped meals and, and would say they never skipped meals? Yeah, that was interesting. So in the Household Food Security Survey module, there are items about um, the whole household, then there are items about specifically adults, and then there are items specifically about children. And one of the adult item that's related to skipping meals is sort of paired together with reducing portions. And so they would sort of only answer the the skipping meals oh no that never happened when what they were doing was reducing their portions the other thing is with those child referenced items those are very sensitive items and this is where we found the most issues in terms of underreporting um, from this qualitative perspective 
because no one ever wants to say that they are not doing their best to feed their children. And so that was a very complicated question. No, my child never goes without anything to eat. There's always something to eat. And that was a pretty routine, uh, regular thing that we heard from our participants. Well, we've got calls coming in. Let me go to David in Palo Alto. David, you're on. Hey, good morning. Uh, I serve as a college administrator at a community college in the peninsula. And the amount of students that we've seen presenting on campus since the pandemic that are showing up um, hungry or homeless um, has has just exploded. Yeah. Uh, and we are spending so much of our time and resources in making sure that the students are um, getting their basic needs met just so they can um, learn during the day. And I'm really concerned that, that we uh, are just going to continue to see this explode for students of all ages. And, um, it, it's, it's a huge concern for me as an administrator. Well, David, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, and I remember we learned about students, a number of college students who are living out of their vehicles when we did a show about um, about how big an impact and how big an issue that has become for so many different populations. Jeannie, I know you've covered some issues related to students and food insecurity. Do you want to say a little bit more about the broader picture that David is bringing up? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for mentioning that. Um, Yeah, college students are um, a particularly difficult group to reach when it comes to um, kind of making sure that people who are eligible for food assistance get on it. Um, The food stamps program, it's called SNAP nationally, was kind of created back in an era when people thought of college students as being, you know, from upper middle class backgrounds, people who were having their parents support them. Um, And so there are all these extra eligibility rules actually for college students, you know, who are adults and living on their own um, to get on the food um, on CalFresh, the the food assistance program that the state runs. Um, And so I think it is particularly difficult. um, And I, you know, I commend you for your work, um, you know, helping students get on this kind of aid because they just have faced like a really, really complex set of bureaucratic hurdles, um, more, more eligibility rules than um, other adults to get on that program. Yeah, Jeannie, your reporting points out that California has fewer people enrolled in food assistance than the national average. Are sort of difficult eligibility rules or difficult systems partly the reason in terms of registering for benefits, getting people enrolled and so on? Yeah, that's something that um, we've, my colleagues and I have reported for a while here at Cal Matters. Um, the I want to say like it hovers above 70% of people who are eligible in California to get CalFresh are actually on it. In some other states, that number is like 90%, like almost everybody who's eligible is actually receiving the aid. Um, and and part of the challenge here in California is it's, it's geographically, ethnically diverse. Um, you know, the food stamps program is run by every individual county that you live in. So every county has kind of different processes. The actual rules for how you qualify are the same everywhere, but there's just this patchwork of different administrative systems. Um, And then, of course, a lot of these county welfare offices are understaffed themselves. 
And it takes a lot of work to walk someone through the entire application process. Um, there are all sorts of like little requirements here and there that make it hard for someone to complete their application, whether it's you have to come in for an interview or you have to like physically sign this application form. There's just things like that that often do get in the way. And so um, I know the state's been working on kind of raising that percentage because, you know, to the state, this is just money from the federal government doesn't you know, they, they want people to get on who, who can, who, who are eligible, but it, I think it remains one of the bigger challenges. Jeannie Kwong, CalMatters reporter covering state economics, Amanda McLean, assistant professor at San Diego State University, who co-authored a qualitative study looking at how Latino families are surveyed about food insecurity. Joining me now is Betsabel Estudio, Director of Engagement at Nourish California, an Oakland-based advocacy group that works toward increased food access across the state. Betsabel, glad to have you with us. Glad I'm here. Good morning, everyone. So as you say, advocates for advocates at Nourish California advocate for policies to alleviate food insecurity. And I'm wondering what drew you to this work? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm a director of engagement with Nourish California, and my work focuses on um, getting Californians with low income the access, the food access that they need to, to get the food that they need um, to live healthy lives. And this work is very personal to me. Actually, I was someone that grew up undocumented uh, for, the, for the majority of my life and was not able to have access to many of our state safety programs, safety net programs like CalFresh and Medi-Cal and others. And I know what it was like experiencing hunger and having to rely on school meals um, as my my major source of of food for that day. And so this work is very personal to me. Hmm. So that is how one of the ways that your family handled it by really relying on school meals. Exactly. Yes. And I knew that very early on that um, I, I was getting most of my meals at, at school and had a lot of actually anxiety about losing my meal ticket. At that time, we didn't have um, what we have now, which is universal school meals and, and other um, benefits. And so I know early on that that was my um, one of my only sources of food for that day. We've been hearing how some Latino families are dealing with hunger, also hearing from Jeannie about the disproportionate number of Black families as well. I know you just conducted some focus groups um, in California with groups, different racial and ethnic groups. Can you just talk a little bit about what were some of your key takeaways from talking with them? Yes, absolutely. So we just actually conducted a statewide survey um, for that is serving low to moderate income Californians and asking them about their uh, experiences with ac- um, accessing food or accessing food programs. And we also conducted f- um, five different focus groups with Latina, Latino, Latinx um, communities, as well as API communities. And I think what we're seeing across all those focus groups and the surveys is that people are really hurting right now with the inflation that we've all been experiencing, the end of the pandemic era, um, supports that we've that we've all been experiencing. People are really hurting and, and they're really struggling to get the food they need and want, um, especially with immigrant communities. Um, we have actually conducted some, some, some work with the UCLA Center for Health and Policy Research with their um, CHIS data and it is consistent with what we saw in the survey and focus groups that about two in five undocumented immigrants are affected by food insecurity. And for children, 
um, that data is a lot starker with two and three undocumented children affected by food insecurity. Hmm. Well, let me go to caller Carol in St. Helena. Carol, you're on. Hi, I'm just wondering, you may have already covered this. I'm just wondering, who are the food insecure? Why are they insecure? And does, does the, ins- the food insecure have anything to do with the unemployment rate? Or is it just that we, they just don't make enough money? Mm. In terms of groups most affected, who do they, who makes up the food insecure in California, Betsabel? Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, as a reminder, food insecurity is an official term. There is, um, a, it's a survey, it's a, an, um, two sets, a number of questions that are asked of people to determine if they're food insecure. Yeah. Um, it's when people don't have enough food. Um, and there are many causes of food insecurity. But one thing it is clear is that financial security is actually uh, insecurity is an issue um, and which impacts people's ability to to be food secure. So um, I would say that hunger and poverty are, are very much tied together. Beth writes, here in the Sierras, it's the elderly who are really struggling because they are on social security. In winter, a big chunk of their income is going to pay for heating to stay warm. I wish the state had not stopped the extra SNAP help. I don't know, Betsabel, if you have any insights into how it's affecting seniors. Absolutely. I mean, I think that is a really good point about um, the older adult senior community being impacted as well as what we're seeing is a lot of our communities like um, the Latinx, Latino immigrant community, the Black and African-American community who are experiencing, uh, who many of them do rely on these on these programs and are experiencing the impact of the those end, uh, pandemic, end of pandemic era um, benefits. Um, so what we're looking to do is try to make sh- making sure that we're um, creating a, a baseline for the CalFresh benefit amount so really trying to bring that benefit amount up. Um, certainly, we understand the big impact of the end of the pandemic era benefit amounts. And so we're really trying to figure out what can we do in California to increase that amount that can help older adults, everyone else. Again, if you want to join the conversation, 866-733-6786, the number, the email address forum at kqed.org. Find us on our social channels at KQED Forum. We're on Instagram, on Discord, on Twitter. Um, Lorraine writes, as someone who grew up in the Bay Area and watched rent demand an ever larger percent of income, I can definitely attest that quality food is increasingly unaffordable. Now, with the added impact of inflation, I do find myself purchasing far less meat and produce, which leads to a greater dependence on carbs. Betsabel, Jeannie touched on this, but do you want to say a little bit more about what you have learned or even your own personal experience about the physical or mental health effects of food insecurity? Yeah, absolutely. So I think just as your caller was mentioning, or um, uh, was that you know the the food insecurity is this inflation is impacting everybody. Um, we're all seeing the high cost of food, um, and especially for families with low income who are having to make really hard choices about the food they purchase and how much they eat. And so we've actually heard from families. Um, having to tell their children that they only have, um, you know, this this amount of food available or that they're not able, you know, I, I had one uh, community member who we work with who had to tell their children that they wasn't milk, you know, to drink that night. And those are heartbreaking. They, this is impacting working families and, and families with low income and having to tell their children that they don't have enough food or that they don't have food for that night um, and having to put them to bed hungry. Um, and this is causing a lot of 
um, stress and and um, and is impacting their mental health and obviously the the health of themselves and their children. Yeah, I'm going to actually quote from from Jeannie's piece where she writes that research shows that food insecure children can experience developmental delays and have trouble learning language. Children are also more likely to fall sick, recover more slowly, and be hospitalized more often if their access to food is inconsistent. Food insecure adults face higher rates of obesity, chronic illness, anxiety, and depression. Anne writes, my father says his most enduring memory of childhood in a poorer country was the unrelenting pain in his belly from hunger. No child in this wealthy country should go hungry. I've had this dream for a long time for one source of steady food bank donations. In many parts of the country, especially in the Bay Area, people need emergency supplies, but it can be hard to keep up on expiration dates. What if the Red Cross partnered with food banks to create a way for people to buy emergency food boxes? Is that a possibility? Are any organizations looking into this? Jeannie, I don't know if if you know about that. Red Cross partnering with food banks to create a way for people to buy emergency food boxes. Um, you know, I'm not aware of that program um, specifically, but I know that the food banks do play an important role here. We've obviously discussed how much people rely on them. Um, and there is a state program that they've been kind of pushing to expand where the state gives food banks kind of funding to uh, buy in-state grown uh, produce to distribute. Um, you know, obviously that's money that goes back into the California economy. Um, and so they've been pushing to expand that program. And then there are other sort of pilot programs around the state where even, um, you know, your doctor could give you a prescription for food because obviously that's good for your health. Um, and there's advocates are kind of trying to trying little things here and there um, to get more people access to healthy foods. Um, wow. but, you Does know, that mean that your insurance would actually then reimburse your purchase or something like that if it's a prescription? You know, my colleague was actually the one who wrote about that. Um, so I'm not sure of, of the details, but it is it's kind of, you know, it's it's a little wonky, but it's one of those things that um, that food banks and different advocates are trying because it's so tied to health and, and you know, your um, your well-being overall. Yeah. So that is one that's, you know, you can read about it on Cal Matters. That's a pilot <laughs> that's been tried here. Wow. Um, but, you know, the expanding these types of programs and making them like work for the whole state, it, it it costs a lot of money. And I think that's one of the big concerns as we're facing budget deficits is how much can we scale these up? Yes, California, because of its size, has, challenge, has challenges related to scale because of the state's diversity. It has challenges trying to reach all the different communities. You're right, Jeannie. So right. We're talking with Jeannie Kwong of Cal Matters, Amanda McLean of San Diego State University, Betsabella Studio of Nourish California. And we're talking with you, our listeners, sharing with us struggles to access enough food, either by you or people that you know, sharing ideas for ways that we can address food insecurity, also telling us about whether or not stigma has been a factor in your willingness or ability to access benefits. We'll have more after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about food insecurity in California and giving an update on what's happened since pandemic-era emergency aid was reduced. We're also learning that, according to a recent study, the federal government may may have an incomplete picture of food insecurity, especially when it comes to Latinos. As of 2022, 19% of the U.S. population, 19 of the U.S. population, identified as Hispanic or Latino. It's the the nation's largest racial or an ethnic group, but there's been little research done to assess whether a survey measuring food insecurity is providing valid data. Amanda McLean has been involved in the qualitative study looking at how Latino families are surveyed about food insecurity. She's an assistant professor at San Diego State University. Jeannie Kwong is a CalMatters reporter who covers state economics. And Betsabella Studio is director of engagement at Nourish California in Oakland. And you, our listeners, are joining the conversation with your questions and experiences of food insecurity. Amanda, I want to ask you if the results of your study will be used by the federal government to improve the way that it surveys about food insecurity? Are you seeing anything along those lines? It's hard to say. I think that, uh, you know, this, this study was actually supported by a grant that was specifically addressing Um, where we sort of need to go with measuring household food insecurity in the United States, since it has been over 25 years since we established this original measure and the demographics of our country has shifted drastically. Um, There are a number of efforts at the both um, academic think tanks, as well as at the federal government level, looking at different ways for us to better understand food insecurity from this equity perspective and ensuring that we are, you know, reducing these, these disparities that exist in prevalence of food insecurity and the, the poor health consequences that go along with it. Um, One of the things that are, you know, in our findings, one of the things we recommended is having some complementary measures that go along with the existing measure that Mm. get up these more contextual experiences and nuances of how people are managing their household food security on a day-to-day basis. Like, like what? So there's a number of coping or management strategies that households use going to food banks, food pantries is one of them. Um, Some of those, those things are lost in our current measure, but are important for us to understand the complete picture. And so if you're relying on, federal food assistance programs, emergency food assistance programs, social networks with our Latinx participants. This was a big um, assistance uh, form of coping or management for our participants as well. Being able to capture those things in addition to the the existing measure would give us a a fuller picture of of what's happening and how we might then and use those findings to inform our programming, our outreach, you know, as you all were just talking about in the previous segment that we have 30% of our California residents who are eligible for these programs that are not enrolled. And so it might help us 
inform how we can do a better job targeting, enrolling, keeping people enrolled that are that are eligible, um, and understanding just how they're managing and what um, what's working and what's not. Uh, they're they're you know I do hope that the federal government will take what we have done and consider it for both additional measures as well as future programming and policies. Ms. Isner writes, I've been on food stamps since I was in college. I often joke that my EBT card stands for Everyone Benefits Too because I share it with my housemates. They don't qualify for food stamps because they make just barely over the max income. So I feel really grateful that I can purchase fresh meat, fruits, and vegetables. Um, Betsabelle, a lot of your work at Nourish California is about getting rid of barriers to accessing benefits. In your work, what are some of the challenges that you want to highlight that we haven't touched on yet in terms of getting benefits? Absolutely. I think there's there's uh, there's two things actually that we're really um, we've been working on for the last couple of years and we're excited about. So one of them, which I mentioned earlier in the show, was about increasing the CalFresh minimum benefit amount um, with the end of the pandemic era um, increase in amounts. Um, most people are getting somewhere around like $23 a month in CalFresh benefits. That's really low. So we really want to increase that um, amount to at least $50 um, so that we can have a baseline. And so um, we're excited that the state has made a, a budget investment this year and is starting a pilot um, that is going to look at to increase that $50 um, benefit for a uh, population. So we're really excited about that particular um, budget investment, as well as a campaign that we've been moving forward called the Food for All campaign, which is looking to expand access to CalFresh for um, California immigrants, regardless of immigration status. And most of these immigrants don't have access to CalFresh, um, including undocumented immigrants, DACA recipients, and temporary protected status immigrants. Um, we've had had um, a budget investment last year that is looking to expand access to CalFresh for our older adult population, 55 and older, and that benefit will start October 2025. So these are at least two ways we're really trying to um, remove those barriers and, and eligibility requirements from our CalFresh program so that it is much more inclusive. Well, this is writes that COVID bump took my monthly allotment from $23 to over $100. I'm a disabled senior scraping by on Social Security. Apparently, I've been receiving that bump before I became aware of it because suddenly my balance was over 300. It was like winning the lottery. I allowed myself to try foods I'd never dared to dream about before. Now, having grown accustomed to having milk and eggs, I find myself using money I need for other things to continue to purchase them. Hmm. Lena writes, in the Bay Area, we're surrounded by the dire humanitarian crisis of poverty and homelessness every day. This inequality is pronounced here, but it's prevalent all across the country and is leading to greater dissatisfaction and wider political division. I'd love to hear more coverage about the connections between growing inequality, poverty, and political division in the U.S. All of this is interconnected. Food insecurity does not exist in a bubble, but in the wider context of inequality that is growing year by year in the U.S. Um, Jeannie, is there a possibility that the state will increase the amount of food benefits? Um, you know, it's a good question. It is something that a couple other states do. Um, so for context, uh, SNAP, CalFresh, the food assistance program known as food stamps, um, the money comes from the federal government. They give it to the states to distribute out to eligible families. 
Um, and there are a couple states, I believe New Jersey is one of them that also adds to that, you know, minimum $23 a month, for example, with some of the state's own money. Um, so you you receive more if you live in that state. Um, I know there was a bill this year in the legislature to do that here in California, too. Um, but it's just I, I'm sure Betsabel can tell you that it, it's difficult to get the state to commit to those kinds of expansions um, in years of a budget deficit. Um, but, you know, this is one of the um, more pressing issues facing low-income Californians. And I know that there are a number of lawmakers that are, you know, very pro kind of like spending on social programs despite um, budget deficits. There's been a, a, you know, leadership have also kind of said the past couple of years that you know, even in, in these tough times, we need to spend um, state funds on the most vulnerable. So um, I think that it will be difficult in the legislature to see that go through. But I, I know that people will be trying. Well, this is writes, I am food insecure due to being unemployed and living month to month because of high rent. Still three months later, even though I qualify for CalFresh, I have not received the EBT card. I was only approved for $23 a month in food assistance. The cost of housing is at the root of the problem, I believe. Disproportionate amount of income on rents. This must change. And Counteract on Discord writes, I am an immigrant from India where there are many people that live on very modest income, but I feel like the quality of food they have is much higher than what people in the same relative income bracket can get in the U.S. By quality, I mean availability of unprocessed, preservative-free, nutrient-rich, diverse food. It is probably because of the sheer number of people involved in growing distribution of food companies compared to the U.S. with such low percent of the population responsible for producing all the food in the U.S., some corners need to be cut. Jeannie, you mentioned efforts related to to farmers markets. Do you want to say a little bit more about that? Um, yeah, there's been, a, there, there's been a couple programs that the state funds to kind of encourage food banks to buy California-grown produce. Um, I believe there's also a pilot program at certain stores where people who get food assistance are able to get more bang for their buck by buying um, locally grown produce. Um, but again, these are at least the latter program for the one that's kind of directed at the consumer. It, these are pilot programs. They're rather limited. Um, and I think we'll just have to see, you know, how far they get expanded. Yeah, pilot programs tend to be the first things to go. And now California is facing what a $68 billion budget deficit. <laughs> what is your sense of the prospects? Um, it's hard to tell so far because we haven't seen what the governor and the, and the administration have proposed for their budget that's coming out in January. Um, and then, of course, it goes through a pretty, you know, lengthy process in the legislature after that. And that's going to take up the you know first half of next year. Um, this past year, the deficit was like half of what is now predicted for next year. And they kind of mainly got by by you know, little accounting tricks, um, kind of moving money around different funds. And so um, I, it's not clear if they'll be able to do those same, they'll be able to use those same strategies this coming year. So we are coming up on a pledge break, but Betsabel, I know that you wanted to be able to connect people with resources. Um, what would you like to share about how to get in touch with you or Nourish California? Absolutely. I know we've been talking a lot about CalFresh. 
um, and other programs, local food banks. So I just wanted to um, share some resources with individuals who may need some assistance. Like the number one um, web page that we recommend people go to if they want to know if they're eligible for CalFresh is getcalfresh.org. It's a very user-friendly website that people can go and, and, and put their information and figure out if they're eligible. The second resource is finding a local food bank. If you go to www.cafoodbanks.org slash findfood, um, you will be routed to um, different resources to find local food in your area. Um, so those are the two resources and um, that people can go to as and well they, as, um, yeah. Oh, oh. yeah, as well as they can oh, go to our website. Um, we have tons of resources there um, and they can also email us at hello at nourishca.org if people have any other questions. We're talking with Betsavella Studio, Amanda McLean and Jeannie Kwong. This is a fundraising period for many public radio stations and you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Yeah, but Sabelle, I understand that your organization is very active on social media, Instagram, and so on. What is it that you are posting there for people? Yeah, absolutely. We post a lot of videos um, that help get information to people about all of the different campaigns that we're moving forward to remove barriers and increase access to food. Um, there's also lots of informational videos about inflation, about the end of the pandemic era benefits, um, about what's happening in the federal government with the, um, the different decisions being made on our uh, federal budget. And so there's a lot of um, user-friendly videos that people can learn more about and engage with us, as well as an opportunity for you to ask us any questions that you may have um, that we can help answer. Let me go to caller Dion in San Francisco. Dion, you're on. Hi. I um, really appreciate this program and appreciate all the comments that have come in specifically about how to provide food uh, and address food insecurity for people who are not eligible for CalFresh or food stamps. I worked uh, since the beginning of the pandemic on a neighborhood community vaccination site in the mission in San Francisco called Unidos en Salud in partnership with the Latino Task Force and UCSF and many other partners. And one of the innovative things was when we realized that most of the people who were heavily impacted by COVID were Latinos and in many cases undocumented, they, uh, in order to help them uh, uh, isolate at home and prevent the, the, the spread of COVID, the city passed a resolution called the Right to Recover that paid individuals infected with COVID to stay home for the two weeks of isolation, which is what was recommended early on in the pandemic, uh, and paid them minimum wage for two weeks and provided food deliveries and other diapers and, and um, formula, et cetera, in order to be able to allow people who are subsistence workers who have to work every day in order to put food on the table to stay home, recover from COVID, and, and this helped uh, the community stay safe. Mm. Unfortunately, with the end of all the COVID benefits, this program has ended. But meanwhile, we're still testing 25% of the people who come to our site at 24th and Mission are still testing positive. So COVID hasn't ended. The same communities are affected, but now we don't have 
the benefit of all the COVID support that was um, given to the most impacted communities. Yes. Well, Dion, thank you for sharing that. And it, that is so much of what the show is focused on is a reminder of the fact that those benefits have ended, but the problems have not ended and the issues that people are facing have not. I appreciate hearing about something that worked. Um, I'm sorry that it's over, but really do appreciate you sharing that experience. Ami writes, something we can all do is be aware of neighbors who are most likely food insecure, like people who lost their jobs during COVID shutdown and can't get another job, or senior citizens who are likely on fixed incomes, and single parents who don't have high-paying jobs. We should make extra food and bring it to them on a regular basis. Amanda, is there, as somebody who has realized that the story is often much deeper and more complicated than we realize for people who live with us and among us and around us, do you have anything you would add in terms of what individuals can do to help? Yeah, I think, you know, given uh, so much of our conversation today has been around what our state and local and, and federal government can do, I think just from this advocacy aspect, it's such an important part of, you know, our responsibilities as citizens, even if maybe we don't have the money to donate, or we don't feel, you know, that we know anyone that is needing our direct support and bringing food. I just think advocating to our legislators about the importance of every single person having enough healthy food um, and not having to worry about it so that we can contribute towards a, you know, future healthy generations that can continue, um, on and and make you know for a a well and, and productive society I, I think that with one of your other callers have mentioned just the political divisiveness that ha- is happening in the United States and has been over the, a number of years that us advocating that this this aspect of food is something we all need right it's we all eat and it is it is fundamental to to the to every single person's life. Um, and so I would argue from, you know, as having just wrapped up this study on measurement and as it influences and shapes programming and policy that each individual is capable of doing more to advocate for those policies that can protect families um, individually and as a whole, as a whole society. Amanda McLean, assistant professor at San Diego State University, co-author of a qualitative study which looks at how Latino families are surveyed about food insecurity. Thank you. Betsa Bella Studio, Director of Engagement at Nourish California. You can support who for support, you can contact Nourish California directly by emailing hello at Nourish California or nourishca.org. Betsa Bell, thank you as well. And also Jeannie Kwong, thanks for your reporting. CalMatters reporter covering state economics. And my thanks to our listeners for sharing their experiences and to Mark Nieto for producing today's segment. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation.
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.